Let's work our way over to Matthew chapter 5 this morning. As we continue our study of the Beatitudes, taking a look at it from a slightly different approach, I think. Maybe you haven't looked at it quite this way before. There are a lot of things that can be said. I, I really am giving you more of a summary of some of the things that I see as we go through this and some of the things that fascinate me, especially, and, and what I'd like to think of as somewhat of a pattern that uh, this section has for us to see, too. So, today, we are looking at verse number 8, Matthew 5, verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So, blameless ones. That's the word I'm going to use today. Blessed are the blameless. You've already seen, blessed are the bankrupt, verse number 3, the poor in spirit. Blessed are the bleeding, verse number 4, those who mourn. Blessed are the broken, the gentle, verse number 5. Blessed are the burning, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, in verse number 6. And last week, blessed are the burdened, the merciful, in verse number 7. So today we go with the blameless. And what an important verse this is. Now honestly as I walk my way through these. If they start to sense to you more convicting. If they, they come across as uh, uh, more challenging week from week. Then I think we've got the flavor right. Because I do think they are. Uh, blessed are the pure in heart. How would you like somebody to set a microscope on your heart right now to see where it is in spiritual purity? That might be uncomfortable, huh? Uh, we are going to talk about the pure in heart today, the blameless. Heavenly Father, we need your help today, definitely do, to understand your word and to understand what you've called us to be. Help us to understand as well, not only just to Understand it in our head, or maybe even some of the actions we do, but certainly to understand this in our hearts and to want what this verse is teaching. So I pray that you work on our wills, work on our, our desire. All these things we set before you because we're your children, and we sit at your feet and ask you to teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, the blameless. So far, as I've already explained this to you, the first four that we looked at, bankrupt, being poor in spirit, that dealt with our pride. The bleeding, those who mourn, it dealt with our sinfulness. The broken, dealt with our usefulness. And the burning, dealt with our attitude, or maybe better, our appetite. Or appetite for things. Those are, in my way of saying this, vertical issues. They are between you and God. What He is working in your heart. What He's doing to help you mature in the things of, of God's way. He works on us uh, in interesting ways and walks us down these paths to where we are broken, useful. And have a great appetite for his way. The, burn, the desire, the thirst and hunger for righteousness. I believe those are, are vertical things 
between you and God. But that prepares us for the horizontal things he's called us to do. And that's what you see in the very next three. I like to think of these as the triplets of horizontal Christianity. Sounds kind of complicated. It's easier to say these are the things you do toward other people because of what God has done for you. And that is, as we've seen already, to be burdened. A merciful individual who sees uh, the needs of others and can sympathize because we were there too. And God has done this great work for us. Literally, I believe that the poor in spirit are the ones who understand how to be merciful. For they have nothing. And God is the one who's given them everything. And that's exactly what mercy looks like on the other side. Because we understand mercy, we can dispense mercy, can't we? And I think those two are linked pretty nicely together. And so as we talked several weeks ago about, about those who mourn, and I gave the context uh, of particularly of sin, and where we've been and what God has done to change us, we all rejoice in that, that He has, has set us free from sin, and that He's uh, given His Son as the propitiation for us. And we rejoice in that. And now there's a horizontal side to it. And it sounds interesting, because to say that to be pure in heart sounds like it, it's all about me again, but it's even more than that. It's about you in relation to other people. This word that we're going to look at here today, blameless, is a very interesting word, because I believe those who truly have been broken in mourning are the ones who are able to be pure in heart. They understand, too, what God has called them to do. Let, let, me, let me put it this way for you. Let's see, where was I going to go with that? Don't you hate when that happens? It will be here somewhere. To be burdened is a response of the heart. That's a response of the heart because the Lord has done this great for, things for us. To be blameless speaks of the condition of the heart. Here's what I wanted to say. Some people say, well, is that the same idea as sinless? No. It's not. Matter of fact, the concepts are different in Scripture. We're not talking about being sinless. I, I really wish we could stand up and say we are. But if we read First John, we'll find out we're liars if we do. Because we are not without sin. I can't wait for the day when we step into glory and then we are. Wow, is that going to be a transformation that we have never imagined when we step into there and wonder what it's like to be sinless. But down here we are. And that's just the reality of, of the struggle of the Christian life. That old sin nature is still there. It's powerful. We know all those things. Blameless has to do with accusations. It really has to do with your relationship to other people. Because in God's sight, we are either sinful or we're righteous. If we're believers in Christ, he sees us in the righteousness of Christ. Thank the Lord for that. But there are those who do not know Christ, and so they are sinful in his sight. They're under the wrath of God. That's his view of us. The world looks at us and sees us as blameless or not blameless. And so that's why I'm going to give you a horizontal concept to this, because there is a side of Christianity 
that maybe isn't stressed enough. And that is, the reason why we should be blameless is for those around us. Alright? It's for those around us. I would counsel uh, couples when they come to me to be married. I, I would always say this phrase. I would say the best thing you can ever give to your spouse is a godly spouse. Being godly is a gift, in some sense, to those who are around you. The best thing you can be to this church is to be a godly person. The best thing you can be on your job is to be a godly person. You see, that's what we're called to be, and that is a blessing to everybody around you, when you are. Now, you know very well, when you're not, it's not a blessing to anybody, is it? So, this concept of blameless, I'm going to put in the horizontal uh, phase, because it's the condition of our heart, and it does affect those around us. There is a false kind of ministry. And this ministry goes something like this. You wear the outward appearance of all that is good and all that is attractive. But if there's a closer examination, we would see we're very much like the veneer on the old sawdust type of wood that's been, you know, compacted and pressed and glued together. And it looks good on the outside. But you know what it's like when it scratches the first time. It's just not pretty anymore. Chips off on the corners. It just doesn't look very good. We, we like, uh, we sometimes like that veneer wood grained image that on the outside we make it look good. On the inside, we're far but that. We get below the surface and it gets uncomfortable. Here's my limitations and I confess them right up. I can't see your heart. I can't see your heart. You're, you're, you're safe here in my as I see you, all right? I, I can't see your heart. I, I don't know what you think. I don't know what goes on inside. Um, you, can, you can impress me in a thousand different ways, and I'll just smile all the way through it. The reality is, Jesus doesn't have that problem. He knows the heart, doesn't he? He knows it. Matter of fact, in one episode, in Matthew chapter 9, you're not that far away, just... Turn a couple of pages. Matthew chapter 9, the first four verses. We see two episodes where he knows the heart, all in the same uh, uh, scene. Matthew 9, 1 through 4, And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. Behold, they were bringing to him a paralytic, lying on a bed, and Jesus seeing their faith. Now, did they walk up and say, Hey, we've got faith, we've got faith, we've got faith. No. He knew their hearts. He saw their faith. And he said to the paralytic, Take courage, my son. Your sins are forgiven. He knew what the real need was. Now follow this, because it's interesting. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. Now who were they talking to? They were talking about Jesus, but who were they talking to? Themselves, right? You know, people do this. They kind of mutter sometimes. Or they talk on the inside. They didn't want it to be verbal. They didn't actually come out and say that to Jesus. But it was as if they did. Because guess what? He knew what they were thinking. And the verse goes on to say, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, 
said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? I think that's an intriguing episode. Where two things are happening at once and Jesus is capable of discerning both. Now, here's our reality. We're in the presence of the Lord, aren't we? uh, The psalmist once wrote, Where can I go from your presence? Psalm 139. No place to go. If I go to heaven, if I go to the grave, it doesn't matter. Uh, Every place is the same to you. You know. A very difficult prayer was put in that psalm. In Psalm 139, 23 and 24, this is what the psalmist wrote. And I think it's a challenging prayer request. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. And know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any hurtful way in me. And lead me in the everlasting way. Could you ask that of the Lord? Can you say, search me and see? And be willing with the answer? Some of us say, well, I'll take the test, but I don't want the results. Wow. That's quite a test, isn't it? Well, the fact is, he already knows this. And here's what it comes down to. There are some who are very good at head religion. Alright, they know the theology, and they're very careful to keep things as they ought to be. They're satisfied when their doctrine is right. And that's the way they might live their whole life. And they think somehow the Lord is pleased with just simply a head theology. And some people have a hand religion. You know what that is? All they're busy as can be. They're doing everything. They're active, 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 active. And really... Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes. No, I really love the people who work. All right? I'm not putting them down. I'm just saying sometimes it's easy to hide the head and hide the heart by covering it with the things we do with our hands. Because we get impressed with the busyness. We see the busyness. And sometimes that covers the condition of the heart. The Lord sees the hand too. And He knows how many people do that, they, they, they use service as a cover for their heart condition. He knows that too. Now, I believe he wants a head religion. I believe he wants a hand religion. But he wants a heart religion. He wants somebody who loves him with all their heart. And Scripture calls us to that, doesn't it? He looks at the heart. Because man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. He told that once to a man named Samuel. God looks at the heart. So this morning, we're going to run through a test, okay? And it gets uncomfortable, I confess. But these are the things that the Lord blesses. These are the ones He approves. Blessed are the pure in heart. Why is that approved by God? Why is that so special to Him? Why did Jesus bring it up at this point? In this, in this conversation, in this teaching about what God would have us to be. Blessed are the blameless. Those are the ones that there are no charges against them. They're without blemish. This is as best man can see. Now, the Apostle Paul was known as a man who was blameless concerning the law. 
looking back at him before he was saved, would you have been impressed with his righteousness? Oh, probably. He kept the law. He was good at the law. Matter of fact, his zeal for the law led him to persecute the church. (laughs) That's how zealous he was for the things of God. And for all the other Pharisees and all the others around in his day, they were impressed with him. Did they ever stop and say, "Uh, Paul, come in over here, we want to talk to you about your problems. (laughs) You don't see Paul being pointed out as one who was deficient in the law. As one who had, had contradicted the law in his actions and his ways. He was blameless. Now we live in an interesting day and age, I believe. I mean, if you enter into the world of politics, you know everybody's looking for something. It's hard to stand up in front of the world and be counted as blameless. Because here's what the blameless does. He does what is right all the time. Except, when he doesn't. And then, our, our finishes, alright? He does what is right to make it right. That's the blameless man. He's not sinless. He just knows that when he sins, he does what's right. You see the difference? That's the point. That's the blameless man. We sometimes forget that and we say, well, he has to be sinless. That's not it. Blameless is what we're looking at here in this text. He not only does what's right, but he knows what to do when he's done it wrong. Joseph, Mary's husband, before Christ was born, he was her her fiancé. Joseph was called a blameless man. There were many others in Scripture who were called blameless by God. They did what was right. Were they perfect? No. But they knew what to do with things that were wrong. So, I give you that definition here this morning. Because in our relationship, we're supposed to be doing what's right. Sometimes we don't, right? Toward other Christians? Is there some... Procedure Is there some steps we should take if we've done it wrong? Yes. And when we do it right, we correct it. That's called blameless. That sounds funny, doesn't it? But that's the picture of it. It's doing what's right. It's doing what's right. Now, here's where it's qualified in our passage. It says, blessed are the pure in heart. Not just talking about actions. We're aiming deeper than that. The pure in heart. Now, I'm very, very glad he didn't just say, Blessed are the pure. Because, well, we'd have an interesting problem if he did. Every business that makes anything that cleans would use this verse as some sort of divine appointment or announcement concerning their product. Or have some fun with you. Use our shampoo and get closer to heaven. Because it makes you pure. Our maid servants will make your home like heaven. You can use that for carpet cleaners. You could you could go anywhere. If it just said, Blessed are the pure, 
We would pull out that old phrase that somebody says must be in there somewhere. What is it about cleanliness? I'll see how many of you just started to rattle it off. That's exactly the point. It's like cleanliness is something about godliness or something like that. And I said, okay. Yeah, we, we tend to equate those terms, don't we? Being clean, being pure. That must be a godly thing. He didn't just leave it that big blanket. He says, blessed are the pure in heart. The Pharisees were so good at the outward side. The Pharisees, now I, I will point my finger at them today because they're easy targets. <laughs> Scripture makes it so easy for us to say, aha, and it's sometimes safer for us to say, aha, because it doesn't feel like it's talking to us. All right. But here it is, the Pharisees, we got several examples of them in Scripture where they acted in such a way that outwardly they showed the world one thing, inwardly they weren't any, anywhere close. Just turn the page of Matthew 5 to Matthew 6. This is what Jesus starts with this section. This is in the same dialogue as he's teaching. He comes to the application of it and he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Boy, that's an alarming little passage, isn't it? So when you give to the poor... Do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the street, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. Now, it sounds like an exaggeration, but I understand it was true. And Jesus wouldn't have said it otherwise. But if they were going down the street and there was some poor man there, they wanted everyone to know they were going to give them money, and so they'd blow a trumpet. Everyone would look. And then they'd go, and they drop that big old coin down in there and make sure it made plenty of noise. All right? They wanted to be seen of men. Practiced their righteousness to be seen of men. He called them hypocrites. A hypocrite, that's a Greek word for one who wears a mask. It was the actor in the play. He was portraying a part that isn't truly him. He was a hypocrite. Oh, I'd hate to have such a term used on us hypocrite. Here's another example. You're still in Matthew chapter 23. Let's go over there for a minute. Matthew 23. Let's look at verse 25 uh, through 28. Matthew 23, 25 through 28. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things that you should have done without neglecting the others. All for a show. I mean, these guys went through their spice racks before they went to church. Ten percent, little cinnamon in a baggie. 10%, little bit of oregano in a baggie. Just the picture here. Can you see how ridiculous that almost looks? They're, they're going through the house, picking out little this, a little of that, little this, 10%, whatever it is. My tithe. And they bring it in in such a parade. And Jesus says, but where's your justice? Where's your mercy? Where, where are these things that really count? Where's your forgiveness? 
your faithfulness. Where is that? He says in verse 24, you're blind guides. You strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. That had to have gotten a chuckle. Picture it, will you? You look in your cup, you see two things. There's a little gnat there and there's a camel. You say, well, how'd it get in there? You pick out the gnat and swallow the camel. I just love that picture. You see the ridiculousness of it. He goes on to say, verse 25. No, 20, yeah, 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. That's ugly. When I was a teenager, we had a dishwasher that had a problem. It didn't rinse well. And I remember how many times it was frightening for this to happen. But I'd get my cup and I'd have it full of milk and I'd drink that milk. And when I got to the bottom, there was stuff in there. Because it didn't rinse. Uh, and somebody took it out of the dishwasher put it up in the, in the shelf because it was through the dishwasher. But there was, oh, there was stuff in the bottom. You know, you don't want to drink things after that. That's the picture here. You clean the outside of the cup, but inside, oh, that's gross. Look what's in there. Robbery. Self-indulgence. Verse 26. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, so that the outside of it may clean also. Woe to you, verse 27, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you like whitewashed tombs, which on the outward appearance look beautiful, but inward they're full of dead man's bones and all uncleanness. So, you too, outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus wasn't teaching about the visible side of purity. He was dealing with the condition of the heart, wasn't he? A clean heart. There are, there are certain words that the Greek uses for clean or pure, there's the one kind of word that's used for that which is genuine. It doesn't have cracks. We would use the word sincere. That's the Latin term for that particular Greek word, sincere. And sincere was, was an interesting term. It meant without wax. Sin, sere. Sere, the word for wax, sin is without. And, and they said that the best way to sell a cracked vase in the marketplace was to fill it with wax. Pack it all in there. Looks real good. The only way to know was to hold it up to the light. And if you could see the light coming through the crack, then you knew somebody covered it up. It wasn't genuine. There is a sincerity. There is a purity. There is a genuineness of that which is, which is right. It's authentic. All right? That's not the word here. This is the word cleaned up. All right? This is katharos, is the word katharos. It has to do with that which has been cleaned. That means at one time it wasn't clean, right? For it to have been cleaned. That which has been cleaned, and because it's cleaned, it is useful now. It's available for use because it has been cleaned up. So one is free from falsehood. That was the first word. This is free from defilement. 
That's the word we're looking at here. It's been cleaned up. Free from defilement. And here's the nature of your heart. Or say yours. It's the nature of my heart too. It's a storehouse. It's a storehouse. The way Jesus described it in Luke chapter 6 verse 45. It, it speaks of the heart like a storehouse. I'm going to read it to you so you see the verse. Luke uh, 6.45 And one more page. Here it is. The good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. Does that sound like a simple principle to understand? Where does he get what's good? It's been stored in his heart. So he does what reflects his heart. The evil man, out of the evil treasures, brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. I think of that often. I think of that often when I, I read the newspaper and I hear the comments of certain people who spout out things and you say, ooh, that was about the ugliest thing I'd have ever heard. And I think, it's got to be a reflection of their heart. Because the heart shows. The, the tongue shows what's in the heart. So if the heart is good and clean, then what's going to come from that? That which is good and clean. It's like a storehouse. When I was young, my grandmother loved juice. All right? So she drank juice with all her meals. And uh, she would have orange juice some days. Or she'd have a combination of an orange and grapefruit juice. Or she'd have grapefruit juice. Or she would have uh, pineapple juice. I'm not a big fan of pineapple. All right? It goes with onions and all those other things out there. Um, as a kid, all I saw was the container had something orange in it. And so I'd fill up my glass. And then I'd find out whether it was orange juice or pineapple juice. Outward appearance. That container. I could still picture it in the, in the refrigerator. It had the color of juice. But many times, rather than tasting it, all you had to do was open it up and smell it. Oh, I can't drink that. That's pineapple juice. I could spot that a mile away. If somebody opened your heart today, what would they smell? It reflects good or evil. It's a storehouse. And I think it, it, the, what fills it dominates what comes out. That's what Jesus says. That's why he calls us to have pure hearts. You see, blameless in heart is the direction of this particular beatitude. Because he's not interested in what we put on the outside, but what's the source underneath it. He sees that. He sees that. Jeremiah, here's our problem. Jeremiah tells us something about our heart. In case you, you say, well, okay, then the heart's the important thing. No, the heart's not the important thing. The heart has a problem. Number one, it's deceitful and desperately wicked. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? By being deceitful, it is fraudulent. It is deceitful. It is polluted. 
it is crooked. It can't walk a straight line for anything. It is also desperately wicked. It's incurably wicked, if you want to follow the word of what. It's incapable of offering any assistance as what it is. Thank the Lord He's changed our hearts. Because that heart was terrible. Let me give you a picture of this. It's back in Genesis. And I think this is one of the most profound verses in Genesis 6, verse number 5, to describe the condition of man apart from Christ. You ready for this? This is frightful. Genesis 6, verse 5. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth. Every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Hebrew says all day long. That's all he ever thought. That's all he ever planned. That's all he ever did. Was walk about with a wicked heart. Now, to trust the heart. Some people say, well, I I have to consult my heart to know what to do. To consult your heart is a problem. If it's in that kind of a condition, I wouldn't trust it. That's like going to the hospital and asking the patient for advice rather than the doctor. It's not going to do you much good. It's useless in that regard. Thankfully, there's a cure for the heart. We read of it often in Scripture. David, in Psalm 51, asked God to give him a clean heart, right? Create in me a clean heart. Renew a right spirit, a willing spirit within me. Uh, Israel needed that. Ezekiel said, God had the answer. I'm going to take out your stony hearts, your evil hearts. I'm going to replace them with a clean heart, a, a, a new heart, and a new spirit to serve me. God knew heart. The heart was the issue. That's why he's addressing it right here too. Being pure, being blameless in heart. That's what he's called us to be. I'm going to take you to two passages in the book of Hebrews. If you go over there, chapter 10 is the first one. Chapter 9 is the second, so it's close by. Chapter 10, verse 22. This is a great place for us to think. The fact that we can enter into the throne room of God right now because of Jesus Christ. Because we can go Him in our need. He's there to meet our need. He's to, to help us in all these things. And it says in verse 22, Let us draw near with a sincere heart, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Because He's done that, we can approach Him. Back in chapter 9, Verse number 22. No, verse 14, sorry. Verse 14, chapter 9. When he talks about the sacrifice of Christ, it says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offer himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? That's why he died. To change you. Forgive you. Clean you. Why? So you can serve. That's what he's done. If any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. Does that include the heart? Yeah, you wouldn't say, hey, that was a pretty decent heart. Let's keep that one. 
No, he, he cleans. He, he changes. He's done all that great thing for us. It's not fitting to leave the old heart in the new man. He's done a great work for us. That's what he approves, by the way. The heart that God approves is a clean heart. A blameless heart. And number one, knows Jesus Christ as Savior. That's how it's been changed. It has been cleansed from unrighteousness. Its attitude, its approach to life, its motive for living, its service to one another, it's been changed because of Jesus Christ. Now it's ready to serve. And it does so in a blameless way. That's the picture I have set before you here today. If I regard wickedness in my heart, what does Scripture say? The Lord would not hear me. Boy, is He concerned about your heart? Certainly is. Here's, here's how simple it is. You ready? If there are things stored in your heart that do not gain God's approval, deal with it now. Deal with it now. He did not make you, clean you, prepare you for service, that you would use your storehouse in that way. He did not do that. God uses the pure in heart. I love the verse out of Second Timothy. I've read this to you before, but it's in chapter 2, verse 21. Therefore, if a man cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor sanctified and useful to the master prepared for every good work now what I've shared with you this morning is simply this as the poor in spirit understand their bankruptcy they become channels of mercy to others as those who have mourned over sin they finally said you know that's, that's the end of that they now walk blamelessly toward others that's the pure in heart. They put it in practice. It's not a personal thing as much as it is that which is horizontal. Because he's done this work in me, I now can serve others in that way too. Let me ask you a simple picture as I close here. A simple picture for you to answer. If you were stuck in a pit, there was no other way out, who would you want to help you? The guy standing next to you, or the guy who's on the outside of the pit? That's too easy, isn't it? We know the answer to that. Which one of these three is the blameless one? He's had things dealt with in his heart. He can now help those who are still in the pit. See the picture? I said that before you today because... Those are the ones the Lord calls blessed. And you say, but the rest of this. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Let me change one word, because you could do this all the way through these. Blessed are the pure in heart, because they will see God. What's that mean? Do you not know as a believer, where are you going to be someday? You're going to stand before the Lord. You shall see Him as He is, as John says. You know, if you don't need any other thing for motivation for living a pure life. It says not only in John, it says also in Peter and other places too. 
Because I will see him, therefore I live godly now. That's my motivation. I will see him, so I will serve him now. I will be clean in his presence, so I will live clean now. Because I will see God. Heavenly Father, you know every heart in this room. I know you do. We've had that made abundantly clear to us today. Now we stand before you as those who want to serve, are willing to serve, I pray are prepared to serve. And you ask us the condition of our heart. And here's that passage that brings it to light. Perhaps there's things that need dealt with. Only you know, and the person that is praying to you right now knows that too. I know our relationship between you and me, and each one in this room can say, Lord, you know me too. And you convict, and you counsel, and you correct, and you encourage, and I'm so glad you do. Wherever we stand today, Lord, in the condition of our heart, I'm so thankful we're talking to the one who can make the difference and change it. Thank you for your constant love and care for us, your faithfulness, your your desire, not only to extend mercy to us, but to make us into the image of Christ. You will not quit. And I'm so glad that's true. And as we come before you today, sometimes we feel so inadequate. Sometimes we feel so so much undeserving. And truly we are. But you are so giving. You are so loving. And we thank you for who you are. Draw us, as Scripture would say, draw us to you with a sincere heart. And may we be clean in your presence. May we be clean in our relationship to others too. Live a blameless life before our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need a world like this. Maybe if it's just the way we do it, it might be a blessing to others, we pray. Work in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.